This is the Oanda Podcast. You're listening to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast, previewing and reviewing all the business and market news from across the world with Oanda Senior Market Analysts. And today it is Jeff Halley in Singapore. Good morning from London, Jeff. Good afternoon from Asia. Wonderful to be here. Start of the week, of course. What is happening where you are in Asia Pacific? What is the latest from the markets? Well, it's actually very, very quiet in Asia today. Only the Nikkei has really pushed higher, which is about 0.5% when I last looked. But across the rest of Asia, South Korea, China, Hong Kong, uh, Singapore, markets are trading each side of uh, unchanged, really. And that is the same for Australian markets as well. The Chinese over the weekend have made noises not just about Bitcoin mining, but also about the price of commodities Uh, and uh, their displeasure with the rapidity of the rise. We saw futures markets in China fall by 10% and uh, Dalian where they trade steel and iron ore and rebar before they rebounded uh, but are still down. That's been the volatility of the day. I think it's uh, weighing on perhaps on on, uh, Australian markets and the Australian dollar but we had a reasonably quiet close on Friday after what was by all standards, a fairly choppy week. And I think Asia is content to wait and see today. That's particularly, or perhaps exacerbated by the fact that all of Europe, except for the United Kingdom, is on holiday today. So that is going to mute financial market uh, volumes. I wanted to ask you about the pretty encouraging data we had and the comments from government ministers here in the UK over the weekend about the ability of the COVID vaccinations, particularly AstraZeneca and Pfizer, to deal with all the variants, particularly the Indian variant, which is causing a bit of alarm over here over the last couple of weeks or so. This would suggest that the UK government's plan to remove all restrictions on June the 21st will go ahead as planned. That's very good for UK PLC, and I expect that will trickle down to the rest of the world as well. Yeah, I think emphasis there on the words trickle, because if we look across uh, Asia at the moment, uh, uh, even countries that are well ahead of the game, such as Singapore, are struggling with uh, new outbreaks of COVID-19 on a community basis, including some people who have been fully vaccinated with Pfizer. And also Malaysia brought out uh, increased uh, restrictions over the weekend. Uh, All the public servants have to work from home and about 40% of the workforce that is not employed by the government uh, will also have to work from home. So they're still struggling with increasing cases. That's a trend we're seeing across Thailand, South Korea, Japan, where I think the Olympic Games are getting more and more likely to be cancelled by the day, uh, and uh, and across the rest of Asia except for China. So it is great for um, for for the UK, and uh, I think it will emphasise the two-speed recovery we're going to see in the world. I think uh, we're going to see Europe, the United Kingdom, US lead the world out of this uh pandemic along with China. The rest of the world is probably going to play catch up, I believe, because they simply can't get their hands on the number of vaccines that they need, particularly because India, of course, has uh, banned the export of uh, AstraZeneca. But uh, in a way, it's also good news for India as well. Sad to hear that the Olympic Games may very well not happen at all. And I'm surprised with Japan, Jeff, because it's such an efficient country. But the rate of vaccinations in that part of the world is still very low. I don't quite understand it. 
they have a lot of social discipline there, but they're also inclined to be very analysis paralysis. So unfortunately, when fast decisions have to be made in Japan, that doesn't usually happen. They take an awfully long time to consider everything uh, before actually pulling the trigger, so to speak. And I think this one's come back to haunt them this time around. Other rich countries have jumped them in the queues for Moderna and Pfizer because they have spent so, time, so much time analysing things and, and, and considering it before actually deciding to, to go all in and, and, and buy these vaccines. I think the same has also happened uh, with South Korea where they were hoping to get most of their vaccines through COVAX, uh, but that has now been thrown into turmoil because of the India uh, export ban. So they are going to pay the price for that. But I, I think the Olympic Games themselves were going to be marginal anyway with um, once they'd started banning uh, people coming to actually watch the game. So they're not going to get any economic benefit. I mean, they've, um, they've actually withdrawn their facilities from the actual whole Olympics event because there won't be lots of spectators and there won't be lots of athletes walking around consuming and shopping and going around and seeing the sights, and, and which I can't blame them for. So I, I think it's becoming increasingly likely because they are still in a state of emergency across large parts of the country and they're looking at extending that. So... Um, they're struggling as well as as much of Asia at the moment. Now that is very sad because the world needs something to bring it together after all the last 14 months and what we've all been through. I was just one one thing that I was interested in you had to say earlier. Uh, you mentioned that people were still catching the Indian variant despite taking the Pfizer. That's not our experience over here. Why is that happening there? Could be any number of environmental reasons uh, or, or factors. Look, I, I think it's important with these vaccines and the Chinese Sinovac and Sinopharm are mostly um, around the region, and and you know there's been lots of noise about the effectiveness of these. I think what we can take from most of these vaccines is that they will stop you going to hospital and they will stop you passing away. But the chances are that they can't protect. They can't 100% protect you from actually catching the virus. So I think the, 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 the upside for the Indian variant is that yes, uh, it is more contagious and yes, you stay infectious for three weeks instead of two. Hence across most of Asia, quarantine periods are three weeks now, but it's actually no more aggressive than other variants. So we're not looking at say the, the, the South African or this UK strain they were talking about earlier in the year, which seemed to be a bit more aggressive uh, when you actually caught them. So that's one silver lining. So I, I think uh, we have to be realistic about what these vaccines are going to do. According to the Financial Times this morning, Jeff, the group of seven are close to an accord on the corporate taxation of multinationals, paving the way for a global deal later in the year that would create new rules for the imposition of levies on some of the world's largest companies. Now, According to this piece, it says a G7 pact could be sealed as early as Friday after progress is made amongst top officials in recent days. Now, that, that would be a powerful force, wouldn't it, for a deal in the formal negotiations taking place at the OECD in Paris? Yes, uh, I, I mean, I'm quite surprised at the pace that this has moved. And I, I think the change in leadership at the White House has definitely had something to do with this. I, I think there's a case for these large multinationals to be 
taxed more fairly, I, I, I believe. I mean, they're talking about a rate of 15% instead of 21%, which is what Mr Biden originally wanted. I think that's an eminently fair, and that's in line with some of the low tax regimes out here in, Sing uh, say, Singapore or Indonesia or around the region. But certainly there's been a lot of tax arbitrage going on over the years, particularly by these multinational companies, uh, and most especially with technology companies where you know, they run all their, their transfer pricing through Amsterdam or through Dublin. Those are low tax regimes, so they get taxed at source much at much lower levels and they don't really pay a lot of tax in other parts of the world. Uh, so I think this will level up the playing field and I, I, I think this is all part of a, a shift that we're seeing in the world at the moment from this unfettered, cold-hearted uh, capitalism, if, if you like, that's dominated the last 20 years and we're seeing a shift back to a more where large companies have to exist and inside a community and they have to they have to pay their fair share as well as all of us who are paying income tax as well. So I, I believe this is quite an impressive uh, effort and, uh, and you know, I think it bodes well for a, for a global deal. I'm not quite sure what it's going to mean for, for places such as Ireland and, and for, for, for the Netherlands uh, or other you know, places where they have uh, more liberal tax regimes, shall we say. But uh, certainly for the rest of the world, I think it will, uh, will level up the tax revenues just when we need them. Yeah, I suppose the question is how you stop those smaller countries like Ireland and the Netherlands from just carrying on and ignoring the new guidelines or the new measures. Well, I guess the challenge for those two very uh, those countries uh, is that they are within the European Union grouping, and uh, if the word comes down from up high, uh, then they'll need to fall into line. Particularly Ireland, because it's only a very very small part of the greater European economy. Uh, and they don't want to get treated like a, a naughty child, uh, if, uh, if I was to simplify it like that. So I, I think they might grumble a bit, but they'll have to fall into line. I think it's these countries that are outside the uh, the G7, and I'm particularly thinking about your Singapore's, uh, etc., that, that, that may find uh, this a little hard to, uh, to swallow. Let's have a look to the rest of the week and quite a few public holidays uh, coming up so maybe slightly quieter than normal what should we look out for though yeah look most of europe is away today uh, the uk is about the only major center before new york arrives that is actually uh, at their desks it's a fairly slow day to week because it's the last week of the month we do have us durable goods uh, on on thursday and we have uh, personal income on friday but then next week we move into all of the global PMIs, Purchasing Manager Indexes from around the world, and that'll culminate uh, with uh, the US non-farm payrolls next week. Now, the 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 May one missed badly, uh, and I think we could be in for some very interesting times if this June one doesn't perform. Uh, you know, we don't get a, a million plus print uh, the way we were expecting to in May this time around. That may call into some doubts about the, the, the this global recovery. We'll also have a live FOMC meeting in June as well, mid-June. So uh, I think June's going to be quite a, a pivotal month for uh, 2021. But I think th this week, you know, it was a very choppy range trading sort of market last week where intraday sentiment turned markets inside and out and back and forth. I don't think it's going to be quite as busy as that, but I do believe it's going to be more of the same as we move through to the end of this week. 
Finally, Jeff, we've almost managed to get through an entire podcast without mentioning Bitcoin, but I'm afraid it's inevitable because there was movement over the weekend, mainly downwards. Uh, yes, indeed. So uh, typical weekend trading. Elon Musk uh, came out with a positive tweet. Um, Bitcoin rose to 38,000. The Chinese government then came out and said they were going to clamp down on uh, cryptocurrency miners. Most of that mining for Bitcoins and other uh, virtual currencies is done in China. Uh, Bitcoin uh, promptly fell down to, I think, around 31,000 before recovering to 35,000 this morning. So it's up a one or two percent today. But the price action is not looking, uh, it's not looking very solid, I'll, I'll be honest. It's setting out a series of lower daily highs, uh, one after the other after the other, and it's way below its 200-day moving average. You know, I've mentioned before that regulatory risk uh, and governmental risk is what I believe is an existential threat to the virtual currency space. And I think the Chinese uh, comments and their intentions over the weekend highlight that once again. I, I believe we can see another test of 30,000. I believe if we fall through that, that will put most long Bitcoin positions that were put on after January the 1st this year underwater. So they'll all be in a loss-making position instead of just 80% of them. Um, and I, I believe that could see another capitulation trade, such as we saw last week, where we could see uh, Bitcoin drop $10,000 uh, a coin, maybe even test below 20000 So I, I believe that uh, our listeners need to keep a very close eye on that 30000 level uh, this week if they are long, uh, long cryptocurrencies or are involved in that crypto space in any formal manner. Okay, Jeff, thanks very much for joining us this morning. Good to speak to you, and we'll speak to you again soon. Always a pleasure. Thank you. The Oanda Podcast.